He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For, him, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present your holy and blamelessness and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So there are certain Sundays where stuff just doesn't quite go right, you know what I mean? And uh, I have actually learned when those Sundays come to get a little excited because I think, well, there must be something the enemy doesn't want everybody to listen to. Uh, so I, I just kind of, even though I'm, it's crazy and you're trying to fix stuff and I know God's got something good to say this morning, so uh, listen to what he has to say. Last week, I started a series looking at what I called the four-chapter gospel, or what's been called the four-chapter gospel. When you were a kid, the gospel was presented to you probably pretty simply. You just said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's right. And when you're a kid, that, that faith really works. And as you got a little bit older, uh, you probably got a little better understanding. So if I asked a lot of you what the gospel was... You might say, well, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, right? What? <laughs> so, uh, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And uh, that's very true and very important, except that there's a whole bunch of the Bible that's not included in that understanding. And that gospel is a good news, but is it a really good news? Is it a great news? And so I tried to talk last week and I gave an intro about this idea of thinking of the gospel, the good news, as having four chapters, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Creation tells us how things were, that when God made it, he made it good and he made it right and it's, he made it to where he was going to be Lord and we were going to have work to do. But of course, it doesn't stay that way. There's a fall. Something is wrong in this creation and what God has made. And the whole Old Testament lays out the fact that we can't fix it. Try as we might, we can't fix it. 
So there's a need for redemption. Somebody has to come and actually save and redeem what's going on in creation, and that's the story of Jesus. And then there's another chapter, the fourth chapter called Restoration, which is where God comes and he makes all things new and he undoes all the things that the fall had. And so I laid that out last week in very fast form and over the next four weeks, I wanna take a look at every one of those chapters to dive into a little more detail. Uh, And so if you were here last week or if you go back and listen, you'll hear some repetition because I'm going over some of the same things. I'm just trying to get them deeper. So don't be surprised if you've heard some of this last week and don't be surprised if there's also some stuff that's new. So creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Here we go with creation. Creation is a very small part of the Bible, only the first few chapters. And uh, most of the time when we go to study that as Christians, it becomes this discussion of young earth, old earth, evolution, how does all that stuff play in? And I think that completely misses the point of, I mean, sometimes it's interesting to read that stuff, but it misses the point of what the text is really trying to say. The story begins, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God did it. All of it was made by God. There's nothing in this world that did not originate from God. We heard from Colossians 1, and you heard Paul say all eight times, right? Did you, you had to say all a lot, okay? And there was everything, he said everything in there too, which you didn't say. All, everything. You get the idea that maybe when Paul's talking about all, he means all, right? How many times does he have to say all before you think, well, maybe all things. Maybe he's talking about all things. I don't know. He's talking about all things. All things in this world made by God. All things under the lordship of God. All, all, all. But Paul is not talking about just God here. Paul is actually zeroing in on Jesus. Allow me to get a little bit theologically nerdy for a minute. Okay? But God doesn't change. Okay? God has always been the God who we know to be God. Hebrews 13.8 tells us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if we believe God to be a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that means God has always been a triune God. That means that the, the members of the, the Trinity have always existed. Now let that wrap around your, your head for a second. We tend to think of Jesus starting at Christmas. But that's not actually what we say. We say in our hymns and we say as we talk about Christmas that Jesus became flesh, which means he was around before that. And Paul goes so far as to say that Jesus is part of creation. And it's not just Paul. Listen to these words at the beginning of John. In the beginning was the word. Okay, that's Jesus. He says it later. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. See, this is clear reference to Genesis here. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John makes the same point that Paul makes, and that is that Jesus is a part of creation. He is creating when God is creating. For Paul and for John, Jesus always played the same role in the triune God. Jesus always made God visible. Okay, Any, God is unknowable to us. The God, the Father is unknowable to us. We can't see God. But anytime we see glimpses of God, we see Jesus. 
That's why it's so important that he is a part of creation. He is the word God speaks to bring things into existence. He is the way God sustains the world. Okay, when we see a water cycle that keeps life going or a life cycle, we see the world continue to spin. That is Jesus sustaining the world. When you look at a beautiful sunset and you say, wow, praise God. There is something about that that is Jesus because Jesus is always making God visible. Jesus is always the mediator between God and humanity. Uh, it's just he becomes flesh in the redemption part of the story. Whenever you see a baby smile, whenever God is walking in the garden, whenever you look at a beautiful sunset or a flower, there is Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is the extension of Jesus. Whenever the world keeps going, whenever you feel God's presence, you feel the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I will send my spirit. Now, I know this may seem a little heady and nerdy, and you're going to be wrestling with it and say, what is this crazy Jordan guy saying all this theology stuff to us on a Sunday morning? But don't miss the implication here, okay? Because this isn't that hard to get uh, to understand it's really hard to live out. The entire world, everything made in this world, everything that is part of this world comes from our triune God. This is how Psalm 24 puts it. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Or theologian Abraham Kuyper says it this way. I love this phrase. This is one of the most important phrases in my life. There is not a square inch of the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. There is nothing in this world. There is nothing in, this, in your life. There is nothing about the work you do and the family you have that Jesus cannot point to and say, mine. That's mine. I gave that to you. I gave you the ability to work that. That is mine. Jesus looks at your work, your job, and says, mine. He looks at the business that you started and poured your life out into, and he says, mine. And he looks at your kids and your relationship with your grandkids, and he says, mine. And he looks at every, every penny in your checking account, and Jesus says, mine. And he looks around the world at beautiful sunset and, and he looks around the world at injustices and things that are wrong that need to be fixed. And he says, that's mine and that's mine and that's mine. It is all mine. This church, Jesus looks at it and says, mine. So don't ever think it's mine. Don't ever think it's yours. It's his. Everything is his. Your life is his. Everything is God's and everything is described as good in creation. Now, it doesn't stay that way. And there's a lot of things that were good that are now corrupted. And we're going to talk about that next week. But from the get-go, the claim of creation is that everything in this world, Jesus can say, is good and is mine. And so for six days, God creates. And he creates with a certain order to get to the mind that is this world. Um, and uh, I spelled this out a little bit, but I wanted to draw it for you. And I apologize. You're about to learn my weakness, which is drawing and writing and penmanship. Okay. Um, but on day one, does anybody know what God does on day one of creation? Light, light and darkness. Day one, light and darkness. 
I'm, I told you I'm sorry. You'll just have to trust me. That says light and darkness. Okay, day two. Ooh, I'm looking at my notes. <laughs> uh, he has the water and the sky separated. See, they're separating. And day three, he has land uh, and vegetation. So if you go back and read the story again, God, on the first day, he takes light and darkness and he orders them. He separates them. He says, okay, this chaos of light and darkness, no more, separate. And he takes all this blue stuff and he says, okay, no, 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 no. Some of you blue stuff are sky and some of you blue stuff are water. And then he has land and, just trust me, land and vegetation. And he says, all right, there's going to be some land. There's going to be some spots that are not covered in water. See, what he's doing is he's bringing order to chaos in the text. He's bringing order to chaos, okay? And then on day uh, um, four, five, and six, what God does is go back and fill these. So read it again. On day four, we had light and darkness. What does he put in the light and the darkness? Yeah, sun, the sun, the moon, the stars. He fills the light and the darkness. Now on day three, water and sky, what does he make? Birds of the sea, uh, yeah, fish of the sea, birds of the air, right? Okay, we got, we got fish and we got birds. God is filling what he made on day two. And what is he doing uh, on day three, land and vegetations? Day six, he makes animals. He orders and then he fills that's very squeaky. He orders and he fills. Orders, fills. So he takes the chaos that is at creation and he makes, brings it to order and then he fills it. He puts stuff into it. And then he makes humanity. And when he makes humanity, he makes humanity differently in the story. Everything else he makes by his voice. Humanity, he bends down in the dirt and he forms the man. And when he goes to make Eve, he forms Eve out of the man so that they are part of the land and they are part of each other. And he says that he makes man in his image. Now, what does that mean that we are made in God's image? Well, if we look like God, <coughs> which one of us looks like God? Uh, I assume God, it's the ones who have beards, right? Um, okay. So we're not made in the image, the physical likeness of God. We're made like God in that we, number one, <coughs> are meant for a relationship. Okay, if God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit works together, we are made for that too. What's the one thing that's not good in the story? It's not good for man to be alone. By the way, it's still not good for man and woman to be alone. Okay, isolation is a form of torture. Literally, they use it as torture, okay? It's not good for you to be alone. You're supposed to do this world with other people. It's part of your God-made image. And I believe we are meant to order and fill. You and I, we, are, we can't create out of nothing, but we can continue God's creative work in this world by ordering and by filling. How does God say it in Genesis? Let us make man in our image after our likeness let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of heavens and over the livestock, over the earth, and of every creepy thing that creeps. So God created man in his image. Uh, in the image of God, he had created him, man and female, he created them. 
and he blessed them. And here it is. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. See, God says to subdue. God says to subdue things. Take the chaotic world that is around you and make it orderly, okay? Take this mess in your backyard and make it a garden, okay? Take these crazy things living in your house and make them children and adults, okay? Subdue, subdue, okay? Take this wild, wild area and create a farm, create a town, create a city, and fill. We're supposed to fill too by multiplying, okay? Supposed to have children, supposed to fill this earth, put God's imprint on this work. And everything that you do, I'm gonna argue everything you do is about this. If you're a kindergarten teacher, you take these crazy little munchkins and you try to subdue them, okay? You try to bring order to the chaos so that you can fill them with information. Okay? If you're an entrepreneur, you take these crazy ideas and you, you order them and you figure out how you're going to do them and then you fill them. You make them happen. If you're an accountant, you take all this information that's randomly in all kinds of files and you order them and you fill them. Okay? You put some kind of spreadsheet together where you can put the numbers in and you can read them. And when you clean your house, there's this mass chaos that is your house. We moved this week, so it's like really chaos right now. Okay? You know what we have to do this week? order and fill it, okay? We gotta order it, we gotta figure out where stuff goes, and then we gotta put the stuff where it's supposed to go. And probably next week we'll have to do the same thing, right? Order and fill, order and fill. Do you understand the importance of this? It means that absolutely everything you do in this world is holy. Because absolutely everything you do in this world, God can point to what you're touching and say mine. So when you're, work, when you're at work, and when, when you're with your kids, and when you're in your backyard cleaning stuff, uh, that, that's holy stuff. That's God's stuff. And when you work with it, you are ordering and filling. You are living out your image of God in everything you do. There is no distinction between sacred and secular. I'm sorry. If you ask Jesus how his spiritual life was, he would never have understood that question. Because all of life is spiritual. All of life, we are living out following God's purpose. That means we ought to be caring for creation, by the way. Okay, dominion does not mean domination. Okay, it doesn't mean we can just use the earth for whatever we want and abuse it and take advantage of it. And No, it needs to be sustainable. We use the earth, yes, but we don't abuse it. And so creation care is a part of our God-given ordination being made in his image, and we need to take that seriously. It also means, by the way, that when God created everything good, he didn't make it finished. He left loose ends. He had further intentions for his creation. He just put the humans in charge of putting it there. Of course, there's a fall, so there's some problems with that plan. But it means that there's more to be done on this world, that God is continuing to work in this world, but how is God often working in this world? Through you and me. Because we are made in the image of God to do what God calls us to do. So God creates for six days and then God rests. This is a hugely important part 
of the story. Let me tell you how important by reading to you these instructions that the Lord gives to Moses in Exodus 31. He says, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, there's that all word again, right? Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between, you, between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Pause right there. Um, Sabbath in the Jewish culture is talked about as a wedding ring between God and his people. That it's the sign of the promise that God's got your back. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among the people. Okay, that's very strong language for Sabbath. Okay, how many of us take Sabbath that seriously? Take rest that seriously? Or how many of you work harder on your day off than you do on your regular day because you got to do all the stuff at home that you didn't do while you were working? We don't rest. We go on vacation and we bring work with us. Okay? But here's the thing. Sabbath is important because Sabbath reminds us that we are made to work in the image of God, but we are not God. We can't do it all. We shouldn't try. And we should trust <coughs> that God works through us enough in six days of the week that we can accomplish more with trusting God in six days than we can working our own butts off in seven. It's a matter of trust. And Sabbath is a gift from God. God wants you to rest. He wants you to recover. He wants you to fill your tank. And I'm amazed how much Christians don't take Sabbath seriously. And I know it's hard. I have four kids, okay? So the idea of taking a whole day of Sabbath is like non-existent. I, that's the world we live in. But, but I like to try to piece my Sabbath together. This afternoon, I'm not doing anything. This evening, I'm sitting out by a campfire. Okay, because I, I need those times and you need those times. Do you see how big the picture of creation is here? It's not just a matter of how God created. It, it's a matter of how the world is supposed to be. It gives you a vision. I think Christians should be both some of the hardest working and most rested people. Okay, and I find most Christians are one or the other. Okay, we're a lot of times lazy, we rest all the time, or we work so hard we never rest. And I think we should find the balance of both. And I think we should be some of the most caring people because we understand that we're a part of each other and we're a part of this world and we're a part of this creation. And so next week, I'm going to talk about the fall and how messed up this gets in the story. But for right now, I'd ask you a couple things. What would you see differently? if you saw every part of the world around you as belonging to God? I mean, what in your world right now would you see differently if you understood that God could point to that thing and say, mine? What would you do differently if you saw your work, everything that you do as an act of worship done because you are made in the image of God and you are touching God's stuff whenever you touch anything? What would you do differently? And how are you doing at resting? How are you really doing at Sabbath? How's your Sabbath habit? Because I'm telling you, your Sabbath habit tells a lot about how much you really trust in God. Consider these things. Look at your world differently. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
Amen.